0: Thanks, Mackie. This is 2 Kings 23, um, and we're reading verses 1 to 9 and then 21 to 25. And it starts um, by telling us it's about Josiah's religious reforms. Then the king summoned all the elders of Judah and Jerusalem. And the king went up to the temple of the Lord with all the people of Judah and Jerusalem, along with the priests and the prophets all the people from the least to the greatest. There the king read to them the entire book of the covenant that had been found in the Lord's temple. The king took his place of authority beside the pillar and renewed the covenant in the Lord's presence. He pledged to obey the Lord by keeping all his commands, laws and decrees with all his heart and soul. In this way, he confirmed that all the terms of the covenant that were written in the scroll and all the people pledged themselves to the covenant. Then the king instructed Hilkiah, the the high priest, and the priests of the second rank and the temple gatekeepers to remove from the Lord's temple all the articles that were used to worship Baal, Asherah, and all the powers of heaven's. The king had all these things burned outside Jerusalem on the terraces of the Kidron Valley, and he carried the ashes away to Bethel. He did away with the idolatrous priests who'd been appointed by the previous kings of Judah, for they had offered sacrifices at the pagan shrines throughout Judah and even in the vicinity of Jerusalem. They had also offered sacrifices to Baal and to the sun, the moon the constellations, and to all the powers of the heavens. The king removed the Asherah pole from the Lord's temple and took it outside Jerusalem to the Kidron Valley, where he burned it. Then he ground the ashes of the pole to dust and threw the dust over the graves of the people. He also tore down the living quarters of the the male and female shrine prostitutes, that were inside the temple of the Lord, where the women wove coverings for the Asherah pole. Josiah brought to Jerusalem all the priests who were living in the other towns of Judah. He also defiled the pagan shrines where they had offered sacrifices. All the way from Jeba to Beersheba, he destroyed the shrines at the entrance to the gate of Joshua, the governor of Jerusalem. This gate was located to the left of the city gate as one enters the city. The priests who had served at the pagan shrines were not allowed to serve at the Lord's altar in Jerusalem, but they were allowed to eat unleavened bread with the other priests. And then Josiah celebrates Passover. King Josiah then issued this order to all the people. You must celebrate the Passover to the Lord your God, as required in this Book of the Covenant. There had not been a Passover celebration like that since the time when the judges ruled in Israel, nor throughout all the years of the kings of Israel and Judah. But in the 18th year of King Josiah's reign, this Passover was celebrated to the Lord in Jerusalem. Josiah also got rid of the mediums and psychics, the household gods, the idols, and every other kind of detestable practice, both in Jerusalem and throughout the land of Judah. He did this in obedience to the laws written in the scroll that Hilkiah the priest had found in the Lord's temple. Never before had there been a king like Josiah who turned to the Lord. With all of his heart and soul and strength, obeying all the laws of Moses. And there's never been a king like him since.
1: Thank you, Anna. May God's name be blessed through the public
2: reading of his words and our hearts be nurtured today. It's not subtle from what we have read that the focus of our readings and the sermon this morning is about King Josiah. And for those of you who are visiting as a church, we are reading the Bible together, and we have just finished reading from a book of Second Kings, and uh, we are in the book of Hebrews and the, the way that the sermon on a Sunday works is that it's based on whatever we've been reading on the we on the week leading to um, the Sunday. So here we've got a king. We're going to to meet Josiah Josiah again um, in February when we come to Second Chronicles. Um he's a king who's been appointed a king at a young age, eight years And uh, when he's 16, he is encounter, he encounters God and he reminds uh, himself that actually the addressing and the rebuilding of the temple needs to start. And when he's 18, this reform kind of starts in the life of this messed up people of Israel and Judah. Uh, Now, Josiah is, is, it's quite interesting, because um, he stands out in the midst of many other kings who did actually evil in the eyes of God. Um, as for those of you who have followed the videos this week, uh, Peter Turnill said it when um, we were reading uh, chapter 22, that actually, this is the end. Of the era of the kingdom and actually it's quite messy it's quite messy and yet in the midst of this messiness you've got King Josiah who actually thinks that actually something needs to be done not only about the temple but about the spiritual life of people and um, there is different debates on the, the, the material or the book that is found uh, in, in the temple. Uh, some people think it's Deuteronomy, some think it's an, uh, another thing. But we're not going to spend time with that this morning. The important thing is that we've got somebody and we've got somebody who decides to open the Scriptures and read it publicly. And out of that... Transformation and change begins. Now, Josiah means Yahweh helps or supports. And what we've seen him is that actually, although David was a a man after God's own heart, we see that Josiah is one of the best kings that has existed. If not, he is the very best. Actually, he is the only king that we read in the scriptures that the scriptures say that he is the one that looked only on God and he didn't turn left or right. Now, remember, the context here is that the society in which Josiah takes the reign, because it's, well, it's an inherited to him, he is eight years old. It's totally messed up. They've gone away from the ways of the Lord. The worship of God, Yahweh, is no longer part of the community life, part of their life. So so in that sense, uh, it's very interesting to see how at a young age, somebody decides to put their trust, to put their faith, and to actually encourage and direct people
1: to do the same. So, Josiah follows David's example.
2: Um, the other thing is, what we see about Josiah is that um, in First Kings 12, there is a prophecy about him coming. I think it's um, 13, 1 Kings 13. Uh, because an unnamed prophet from Judah predicted Josiah's birth by name long before he was born. And unfortunately, Josiah comes to the throne um, in Judah too late to prevent the mess and the upheaval that these people are going to experience because they've turned their ways, their backs to God. But... In his reign, in his rule, he's going to be doing his best by serving God. And he's going to bring reforms. He's a good delegator. He's delegated the repair of the temple. He's delegated the interpretation of the book of the law to others. But some parts of this reformation is when he sees that he himself needs to do that. So, If we were to look at what Josiah did, um, I've got different bullet points here. That actually, you know, he read the book of the law to the people. He made a personal commitment to the covenant. He wanted people to renew the covenant. And then after that, he decided to remove all the idols from Judah. He removed the idols from the temple. He removed the idolatrous priests. He removed the 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 wooden image of Asherah. He uh, destroyed the booths of the perverted persons. Uh, he closed down the high places and actually brought the priests to Jerusalem. Uh, he destroyed uh, the altar that char- children were being sacrificed, and Molech. He he wiped out pagan worship. Then he removes the idols in Bethel. And then, the last thing that Anna read on the passage is that actually he reinstitutes the Passover. Now, remember, this was something that the people of God needed to do every year. It was a command for them to remember the story of deliverance how God had brought them out of Egypt. And as it says there, the Passover had not been celebrated in this way since the time of Solomon. So decades and centuries had passed for them to come to this place. And the last thing that uh, Josiah does is that he removes superstition from Judah. He takes away all those people who consulted the uh, mediums or the witch doctors. He prohibited the use of household gods. And also, he destroyed all the abominations in Judah. So, quite big changes for the people. Quite big changes for him as a king. I think he, he reigned as a king over 30 years. And we read the story of second Kings. It's good to have this story in the Bible. And then I stop and ponder, well, what does it mean for us? What are there some lessons that we can draw from? reading from the life story and from this, this account of Josiah. And as, as I've said before, is that we'll come and we'll revisit Josiah again in February. But I just thought that it would be good for us to stop for a moment and ponder of some applications that we can draw from this powerful story. So as I started... I'll still reinstate that the the days of the kingdom where Josiah is in reign, they were filled with really trouble. Well, actually, the whole package of the last ruling kings in people of Judah was a mixed bag of Josiah being a good king and his predecessors being bad. And his followers being bad. And it's, it's very interesting how Josiah chooses to be a righteous king who stands for the word of Yahweh. More than 400 years have passed since Solomon has disobeyed God and has introduced. Israel to pagan idolatry. Faithfully, through all those years, God has sent prophets, stream of prophets, proclaiming that actually there is going to be consequences for this kind of behavior. When we come to read Jeremiah, Jeremiah is one of the contemporaries of Josiah. We'll see what are the things that Jeremiah is lamenting and it's, it's saying for the people, how far they've come from their relationship with God. So God is still faithful in the midst of this unfaithfulness. And God is still seeking to try to save his people. Unfortunately, As we read in the Scriptures, people continue to mock his warnings,
1: to kill the prophets, and not listen to his reproof. What are some of the things that we can draw from
2: the story of King Josiah? I don't know about you, but... I still keep coming back to the lessons that we have learned from the pandemic. It's very easy to move on to say, I wish that time never comes again. But it is important for us to grab hold of the lessons that God drew our attention to during that time. And one of the things that I've been really struck with is that not only we have learned how little control we have, even over a tiny microbe, but it's interesting to see how important it is to have not only
1: good leaders and good leadership, but godly leaders. I think
2: what the pandemic has exposed is that leadership has come from the places that we have not expected it, and from the people that we have appointed or have wanted to take over leadership. We have not. I'm talking here mainly about politicians, but I think also, as a church, we have got to answer about this of how we have been able, how we've been demonstrating this good news during this time. I go back and I revisit my leadership during that time as well. And again, it was things that I was never trained to do, it was things that we never spoke about, but it's interesting how even from this story, we see that people not only need good leaders. But it's important to recognize that we are in need of godly leaders. Because it is important what difference, it's noticeable what difference it makes a decision of somebody who is of influence and power. So, I've been thinking this week, what is the... What is something that, because I can sit all day theorizing about what is good and what is bad leadership.
1: And for me, it boils down to one thing that I need to check my heart.
2: Have I stopped praying for godly leaders because of the numbness of disappointment Disappointment that I have from my experience of leadership. As a church, as God's people, we're commanded to pray for those who are in power over us, whether we like them or not, whether we we prefer their political views or we've got other political views. But as a church, we can do something. We can be faithful to pray to God for godly leaders, not only in politics, but in our church, in, in the places of work, because I think this is what makes a difference. All the other kings that preceded, came before uh, Josiah, the generations, his grandfather, Manasseh. I mean, can you imagine having Manasseh as your grandfather? God bless Josiah. And yet he still chooses to lead people to come
1: to know and experience the relationship with Yahweh. But this is an opportunity for me to, to, to really uh,
2: challenge you to say, do you pray for my godly leadership? as your pastor? Do you pray for the godly leadership of your elders and ministry leaders? Do you pray for the godly leadership of the people that are above you in
1: your place of work? Do you pray for them at all? It's great to say that Josiah
2: has done these great reforms and stuff, but he's done it out of that place because he had that relationship with God. Otherwise, what's the point of creating all this upheaval of dealing with sin and uh, demolishing and getting rid of and reinstituting the, 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 the values of this relationship with God? So that's lesson number one, godly leadership. Lesson number two that I want to draw our attention to is that, actually, it's amazing how we have experienced it, but also we see in the Scripture, that change happens, funnily enough, when God's Word is read,
1: privately and publicly, when it's accepted and obeyed. What happened? The book of the law was read.
2: The reaction was, oh wow, this is the word of the old. we better do something about this because we are in a pickle. Change, transformation happens when God's word is read, accepted and obeyed. And again, this is my opportunity to launch Another application. This is why we're doing Restore. Restore is not a book club. It's not that we've got any other books to read and we might as well read the Bible. We want to read the Bible because we know that's the Word that God has revealed Himself to us. And that's where we need to know Him. That's where we need to grow in our understanding of who God is. And that's where we need to to learn how we can live for Him how we can follow Him. This is why we're doing Restore, the Bible reading, because we believe that when God's Word is read, transformation happens. I know from conversations that I've had with you that you come and you say, well, I never thought that would be the case. But here, lo and behold, I've learned something from the book of Numbers. Well, because it's not just around the book is God's Word and it promises that will never turn to God void but it will fulfill all the purposes of why it was given Paul writes to his prodigy Timothy he says oh Timothy I'm reading from second Timothy chapter 3 verse 14 as for you continue in what you have learned and have become convinced of because you know those from you have learned it from. So from infancy, from you a little one, you have known the Holy Scriptures were able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. Because all Scripture is God-breathed. It's useful for teaching, for rebuking, for correction, and training in righteousness. Remember, Josiah was a righteous king? So that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. So when we come to the scriptures, it's not about just selective respecting of the scriptures. Oh, yeah, it's okay, it's the Bible. No, no. It's believing that this is God's word for us. It's also complying with what He's saying, and also believing that it's fully sufficient, it's fully adequate, is actually it's it's directional, it's life giving for each step of my walk with Jesus. It's adequate. It, It's one of those directions that actually, if I'm going this way and I come to know that this is not what God
1: wants for his followers, I can change direction. So when God's word is being read, when God's word is being accepted, when
2: God's word is being obeyed, is amazing the transformation that it brings. So, This is an invitation for us. We've got much more than those Old Testament guys used to have. We've got the whole revelation. To engage with scriptures in a way that we know God's heart and we know how we can live for him. Lesson number three. So, godly leadership the amazing transformation that comes from a public reading of God's Word, and private reading, for that matter. Um, Lesson number three. I've got five lessons. Um, Repentance and humbling ourselves before God is marked by actions that reflect it. It's not just marked by liturgy. This is that place where we can be open, vulnerable, before God, and say, Lord, look at my heart, search my heart, and see if there is any wicked way in me, and lead me
1: to the way everlasting. Repentance is marked by
2: actions. Josiah has encountered God's word, he needs to do something about that, and the actions are radical. It's not just mere words, it's not just mere decrees. He has to change his lifestyle for himself. He expects it on other people, and you see that actually it's working. So, when we come to know the love of God, when we come to experience His glory and His grace,
1: repentance is is part of the package. Because we see the
2: holiness and the goodness and the grace and the greatness of God, and we see
1: how much we need it. Remember when Zacchaeus met with Jesus. And
2: Jesus stands up in the middle of this banquet and he says, today salvation has arrived in this house. And Zacchaeus says, wait, 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 wait. It's not only that. I know I'm a thief. But for those that I'm stolen, I'll, I'll repay them four times. Much more than the law requires. And to those that have no money, to the poor, I'll give half of my riches. This was the response that Zacchaeus had to the the abundant grace and love that he experienced from Jesus visiting his house. Repentance is not just liturgy. It's not just words. It's not just a prayer, but follows with actions that actually are parts, and they are in the same direction with God's heart. Lesson number four, faithfulness in worshipping and obeying and serving God is not a one-man show. Faithfulness in worshipping and serving God is not a one-man show. It's really unfortunate what happens when Josiah dies, that the people go back to their ways. It is God-given that this faithfulness in serving and worshipping God is expressed, is exercised, is forged among
1: the people of God. Among ourselves. And the last thing that is the lesson is that Josiah
2: re starts the celebration of the Passover. And the story of the Passover is a story of salvation, is a story of deliverance. It's a story that needs to be transmitted to the next generation. It's a story that we need to remember. So the fifth lesson that I've got here is that you cannot celebrate your salvation enough otherwise you lose touch with god's grace hence the old testament passover hence the celebration of the lord's supper when we believe that christ is our passover we need to remember because as people we tend to forget And the more we forget about God's salvation, the more foreign we become to God's grace and love and abundant life that He wants to give to each and every one of us. Because actually, it is at the table. It's when we come here that we engage with repentance. When we appreciate God's love for us, It's when we engage and we receive forgiveness.
1: It's when we engage and we act out of this table to love God and to love one another. So, Josiah, to wrap it up. Godly, not just good leaders.
2: Change that comes from reading God's words and complying and believing that is sufficient for our lives. Repentance and humbling ourselves for God is reflective with actions that come out of that. Faithfulness in worshipping and serving God is done better in community. is not a one-man show. And finally, celebrating the gift of salvation. Because by remembering that, we cannot lose touch of his amazing amazing glory and grace that we spoke earlier on.